Hello and welcome to the Nordic Keyforge podcast. My name is Jason, the captain of the cavern, Kirk, coming from my personal deck name there. Um, and I am here joined today for episode 62 by um, Hydro, Jonas. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Cool. Doing and well. uh, fantastic, Linus is here. Lenusu, how are you? How are we doing? Well, thank you. Yeah, that's two two episodes in a row. This is oh, this week. <laughs> I'm doing strong here. I'm doing well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we also have an extra special guest with us tonight. Uh, we are joined by uh, the Director of Operations for Strange Stars, um, Michael Hurley. Welcome very much to the Nordic Keyforge podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Very, very welcome. It's going to be very very good to get to know you over the next uh, half an hour so um fantastic uh thanks for giving up your time happy to do it um we're gonna jump straight into um what we like to call our the forge night how was your forge night but we will skip ours because we all of us listening uh, um will all want to know how has the last two weeks been for you in minnesota in keyforge headquarters uh during this start of this campaign how how has it been i mean it must be really exciting uh it, yeah it has been exciting and busy um yeah it's uh i think i checked just before lunch on where we were at with the campaign but i think we're still about 20 some thousand dollars shy the next uh stretch goal so oh getting close uh we're getting close you know we'll we'll get there but it's uh, been waiting Waiting for that one because I think menagerie uh, decks are going to be a lot of fun uh, to talk about wow. and for people to speculate about. So, um, in terms of like what I've been doing, you know, yeah, it's I've I've been like most of the preview articles um, I have written and uh, and prepared. So I've there's been um, that's taken up you know like quite a bit of time and working with Jeremy on the uh, coming up with a is a very detailed plan of like what cars we're going to spoil, when we're going to spoil them, <laughs> who gets to spoil them. Um, Cause it's last time we, with Winds of Exchange, we kind of lost track of that where we were, we were changing things so quickly yeah. that, uh, you know, we, we turn around and be, be like, Oh, well somebody put a new image up somewhere and it was for a card we hadn't actually shown yet. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, and so we, we, we try to tighten that up yeah. more so yeah. this time. And, uh, yeah. So that's, Michael, that's have been you, good. Michael, have you been able to play any Keyforge yourself? <laughs> I do. I play Keyforge every day. Uh, it's usually in the context of testing something. Okay. Yeah. But you don't just kind of on a lunch break say, hey, Luke, want to come and let's just crack open a couple of decks. and. So we do. So yes, um, Luke and I do play just you know casually because it's um you know like right here for example i have the oh, very first uh, oh, production oh, sample of grim reminder oh, that <laughs> that's so, um that that's, that's exciting yeah that's right. very exciting <laughs> right yeah so so i mean we got a few samples from the factory and so of course we did yeah. have to open some of them and play some of games of course you have to yeah yeah mm, yeah it's, it's part of the job yeah it's quality <laughs> control an important step of quality control yeah yeah, yeah. 
Oh wow! I so I've completely lost my track of thought um, after seeing <laughs> that, that shiny blue packet of a Grim Reminders Keyforge deck. Um, so so they're being print. So the printing has started. Um, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, as, I mean, yeah. We. I mean, the campaign was funded. You know, in the first yep. seventeen minutes. So yeah, that that told us that it was okay to hit the print button. Oh, um, fantastic. So so that's what we've been doing. Is um, you know, it's you know, get the, lots of quality control steps. You know, with um, yeah. uh, making sure that you know everything is working correctly and that uh, the packaging is you know is coming together the way that it, that we expected and you know and all of that. And so so far, so good. So. Uh, absolutely fantastic. We are really excited to hear all of that. Uh, before we continue to talk about Keyforge, though, uh, we we want to know about you. Like, you as Michael Hurley, your, yeah. how did your career start in the, in the board game, card game business? Sure. Um, so I started, um, started at Fantasy Flight Games in 2007. Um, before that, I had worked at a few different, you know, uh, kind of low-level marketing jobs for different companies. And mm. um, my brother, Keith, had been working with Christian on some video projects because my brother, does, that's what my brother does is he, he does all the video work. And he's dope. He works at Ghost Galaxy now, too, doing oh. our video production. But at the time, in 2007, he was doing some video work for Christian. And so he told me about this company fantasy flight games and how they were hiring for people. So I applied for a job and, <laughs> and, uh, just started working, um, as I was started as an editor, um, which actually was more of a technical writing kind of job, you know, like writing the rule books and, and, um, editing the cards and that sort of thing. And I quickly moved into a series of management level jobs, first role-playing games and then card games. And then eventually all, all products um, to where I was, you know, vice president of product development, um, which basically meant that I had a hand in everything that FFG published. Oh, wow. Um, so everything between 2007 and when I left, I was, I was at FFG for a little less than 10 years. And by then they, they were acquired by Asmodee. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so then I moved over to kind of an upper management role at Asmodee, overseeing all of their North American studios, including oh. Fantasy Flight Games, but also Plat Hat Games, B-Man Games, Catan Studio. And then we also started up Atomic Mass mm -hmm. Games to mm -hmm. do the miniatures work. So I had a hand in all of that stuff. Um, Christian uh, left Asmodee. Um, to start up his new companies and i i didn't follow him follow him right away but um i was i was ready for a change um it, it's uh that kind of the job at asoday was was you know it was it was interesting but it was a, a, it, got to the point where I was a long ways away from doing the stuff that I really enjoyed doing, yeah. you know, which is like actually working on new products. Hmm. So, um, the, the game design, the, the game, right. Exactly. New, yeah, um, new ideas and you, yeah. Yeah. I right. can imagine that. Yeah. So I, you know, so I talked to Christian and, and, um, 
you know, and he brought me on board. Um, and uh, we've been doing Ghost Galaxy ever since. Mm. So. Oh, fantastic. And that was during the pandemic, if that's, if the... Yeah, so, that, so the, yeah. we didn't, right. So when I joined, when I started back up with Christian, we hadn't actually, we didn't have Keyforge yet. No, no. Um, we were in the middle of the pandemic. We were doing a variety of other business-related ventures, um, including working on Forgefire, uh, which yes. was, um, which was the you know software designed to be able to create a game like Keyforge. That was kind mm. of the inspiration behind it because we thought that that was something that we could turn into a commercial thing that would be of interest to a lot of different uh, companies. Yeah. And then kind of unexpectedly, we got the opportunity to actually acquire Keyforge itself. And it, it's no brainer. Just, it just made a lot of sense. You know, it's just yeah. like, well, we're kind of already working on the software anyway. So, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. So cool. exactly. Yeah. I mean, Keyforge uh, was the first of its kind in the, a, the algorithmically generated games. So it, yes. it makes so much sense that that actually happened. Yeah. So, um, what advice do you have for kind of with with the journey that you went on? And we have listeners who are very interested in, in board games, um, mm-hmm. probably more board games than card games. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those who are wanting to design their own games, like where where would you start? Where could you say we start? Well, sure. So I guess I would say it, it kind of depends on what, what your goal is. Um, if you're... If you're just doing it for the love of designing games that you can play with your friends, um, then I say that that's great. There, are, you should you should do that, and there are lots of resources out there that can help you. Um, you know, t- turn something from a print and play project into something that's a little bit, a little bit higher scale with more of like a print on demand um, kind of a thing. Um, on the other hand, if you're if you're interested in taking that a step further and t- trying to turn it into something that's actually a commercial product, that is, I think there's a pretty big difference between designing a game for fun and designing something that other people will actually want to buy. Um, and I would say the most important thing for people to understand is that having a good game is not enough. No. It doesn't matter how good your game is it also needs to be a good product and a good product is something that is cost effective to make and is easy to explain to a distributor and to a retailer and easy for them to market it. And, um, and so if your idea is really radical and really different, you're going to have a much harder time making it work commercially. On the other hand, if your game is too much of a clone of something that already exists, you're also going to have a very hard time getting people interested. You know, because why would they? In, yeah. Why would they invest in your idea when there's something else already that is basically the same thing? So it yeah. can be tough. But uh, in that in that way, I feel like Keyforge is kind of fills that slot. Uh, that it's it seems to me that it's kind of simple, but at the same time, it's also very different. Um, would that would you agree? Uh, so yeah, I do agree. Um, a KeyForge is, in terms of like how complex a product is to make, I would say KeyForge is one of the most complex products 
uh, we've ever we've ever tackled. Um, the idea of um, of a, a unique deck game that not only is a unique combination of cards, but has a unique name and a unique card back. Um, putting all of those different pieces together in a way that actually worked on a production scale. Uh, that was, that was a huge task. And that, that took a long, uh, that took a lot of software engineers a long time to put all of those different pieces together. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, but, uh, but at the same time for retailers or distributors, it's kind of simple product. It is. Um, yeah, it's, and I think that's been one of the keys to the success of Keyforge, yeah. you know, is that it's a very easy product to explain to a customer, which is mm -hmm. like, oh, you, this is a fun card game. All you need is one pack. You tear it open, it's a deck. You can mm -hmm. just sit down and you don't have to do anything else other than just learn the basic rules. Yeah, that's such a great idea. That's a sale pitch yeah. that <laughs> caught me like hook, line, and sinker. It's, it's, uh, it's an amazing sale pitch. And then 241 decks later, I'm, you know, I'm still opening one <laughs> <deck>. <laughs> Yeah, but, but probably, the important uh, thing is even that, I mean, that first deck, you, just opening it and playing it every time you do it, it's a great yeah. experience every time. Yeah, because exactly. you discover oh, something. Oh new. no, that, uh, oh, yeah, that wasn't a criticism by any means. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I mean, like I still get such a kick out of just opening that one deck to see see what it's like um, and exploring what it could it could possibly do. The interactions between the cards, there's it's absolutely brilliant. It's almost like an addiction. Um, I mean, <laughs> us us fathers with little kids that don't have that much time. It's it's the perfect product for that, so yeah. I'm I'm just happy that I found Key, uh, Keyforge. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I have a ten year old son, and uh, and he and I play Keyforge too. And it's uh, I'm always it, it's it's the one card game that I have because I I played lots of them over the years, and I still yeah. own most of those cards. Um, but my ten year old son is not ready to get into like deck construction or anything yeah. like that you know it's just like he just wants to play yeah. you know and it's and so when he says he wants to play i know i've got him for about a half hour before he yeah. wants to do something else yeah. you know so yeah. that's, that's perfect, like perfect yeah. keyboard time <laughs> right, yeah yeah Oh, that's fantastic. I've got my five-year-old is actually uh, wanting to start playing games because he sees me playing with cards all the time. And so he's started on Pokemon at five already, just the simple starter yeah. thing there. And um, he's getting more and more excited about wanting to be able to play Keyforge with me. And I was like, hey, learn, learn how to read and then <laughs> you know, we can get there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So moving into the key forge discussion uh for this evening what have we're, we're like a, a year into key forge being produced by ghost galaxy um what have the challenges that you faced with ghost galaxy compared to when you were producing this with fantasy flight because i'm guessing like hands on deck may be one thing mm -hmm. um but can you expand on 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 what the challenges have been well, sure. Yeah. So Ghost Galaxy is a small company, um, much smaller than Fantasy Flight Games was when we started working on Keyforge. And I, th I think we started working on it in 2016. Um, wow. 
Right. And um, it, yeah, it took two years really for it to uh, to come out. But um, but FFG was a huge company compared to what Ghost Galaxy is. Uh, I mean, we had Ghost Galaxy has one graphic designer. Fantasy Flight Games had an entire department of graphic designers. Yeah. Um, so it's a so there's definitely a question of scale. Yeah. Um, now we have the advantage this time around where it's like we even though we're a small team we're a team of veterans and we know um we kind of sorry we kind of know the direction that we're uh we understand the challenges uh that we have to overcome and um so bringing the product um like being able to make the product um the way it was, that was much easier the second time around. And we're able to improve lots of processes uh, along the way. Still got a lot uh, of work to do in, in terms of um, store engagement uh, with retailers and our organized play program is, um, you know, like we, we had a good start this year, but there's still lots of lots more that we want to do with that to kind of bring it back to the level that we think that it should be at. So there's definitely challenges, and I guess you don't have the uh, like the at Asmodee and 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 Fantasy Flight. You had a, a bigger network. I guess you have a network, a personal network, but commercially it's 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 smaller to begin with. I guess relationships with retailers and things like that. It, right, exactly, and um, in in many ways, like the, the whole industry um, was changed a lot uh, mm -hmm. because of the pandemic. Mm. Yeah. And so a lot of we just, there's been a lot of just basic networking to just kind of figure out, like, who's even still in business in hmm. some regions, yeah. um, you know, and kind of reconnecting with those retailers and um, and then getting them, re, you know, reigniting their interest in Keyforge, hmm. uh, which for a lot of retailers is something that they have you know had written off as like, well, that, you know, that game's over. Um, yeah. Mm. So it's yeah. it's been it's definitely been a long process and there's still a lot more work to do. Like our sales manager just came back from Essen where he spent a whole week in business meetings with different distributors and retailers uh, from all wow. over Europe. But that's and nice. He, he got a lot of meetings. It sounds like, so yes, that's did. a good, yeah. that's a good sign. <laughs> uh, uh, I want to move on a bit into the design of Grim Reminders. Mm -hmm. uh, so can you tell us a little bit about uh, as I understand, Fancy Flight, they had done some initial design on, on Grim Reminders. So yes. can you tell us what was the state of the set when you took it over? Was it like ready to print, ready to go, or was it a lot of work that you... That no, was it was... Um, so Winds of Exchange was about 90% done um, when we took it over. And... But Grim Reminders, I would say it was less than 50% done. Mm -hmm. They had wow. they wow. had done quite a bit of art, um, like they had almost all the Geistoid art was done, and they had also done a bunch of other art too. Um, but in terms of like the card designs, um, it was very incomplete, and they had some other mechanics in there that we ended up cutting because uh, they just weren't they just weren't working um, and they, they were kind of, they didn't really have anything to do with the haunted mechanic. 
Um, and they're also kind of complex uh, mm. to implement. And so we, there was, there was a, a pretty sizable chunk of the design that we completely cut out of Grim Reminders and we wow. put on the shelf. And maybe we'll revisit that at a, on a future set. Mm. But, that also, but that left an even bigger hole uh, in the set that we had to then fill. So we added, um, we added scrap effects. We added the discard bonus icon. And we really expanded upon the haunted mechanic and tried to give each house its own way of interacting with haunted. Yeah. Uh, so that it kind of had its its own special take on that. It was important to us that Geistoids, for example, was the best house at becoming haunted and had the most reasons to stay haunted. We thought that was part of their identity. Mm, that works with their yes. flavor, I, I guess, with haunted. Right. Um, but we didn't necessarily want that to be the case for all of the other houses because mm. that, no. that would just make everything too homogenous. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so it was the same thing with Saurians and Exalts. Um, everyone mm. could Exalt, but Saurians, that was their thing, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like you kind of did a lot of work on focusing the set, I guess, uh, onto mm -hmm. uh, interacting a lot of more with the haunted mechanic and discarding effects to to get you haunted and such. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about uh, your role in in doing this work? Like, what what was your own responsibilities um, in this? Right. Yeah. So I. Um... I worked very closely with Luke Olson, who's also known as Sky Jedi. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. He, uh, so the two of us worked closely together on this, and um, you know, like uh, the scrap effects were that was Luke's idea. Um, so he designed most of those effects uh, okay. and, and worked them into the set. Um, I was the one who was more focused on the haunted mechanic and creating the different identities and for all the different houses and how they, how they each cared about being haunted in a different way. Uh, so I think between the two of us, we were able to kind of do a lot of work at fleshing out uh, the set. I mean, we were able to work in parallel in, in many cases. And Luke is also much better at, um, at the scripting side of things and able to make forge fire do interesting things mm. uh, in, in a way that is is not really my strong suit. So, uh, so when you uh, uh, when you go around designing, go about designing cards and mechanics, what what is the process you have for it? Um, yeah, so we have um, we have this kind of slush pile of ideas um, that. Uh, that we talk about and experiment with. And this kind of gets into a little bit of the playtesting question of like, we, I kind of group playtesting into two things. We have what I call just internal testing, hmm. where it's just Ghost Galaxy employees and maybe their immediate families that are working on some very raw ideas. And a lot of times we're just playing with scraps of paper to just, you know, see, you know, like, is this, you know, is there any, is, is, is this basic idea, like, is it even functional? Like, could it even work in the context of the broader rule set of Keyforge? Um, and so we have a bunch of those ideas that we, that we kind of revisit from time to time and discuss and debate. And um, eventually we settle on a few of those to be like, okay, this is going to be what we're going to focus on for this set. And then 
once we have developed that out to where every house has got a bunch of cards that interact with those core ideas, um, then we take it to external playtesting. And um, another important point to the external testing is that all of the decks that we send to our external playtesters, which is a closed group uh, of people from around the world, um, they're all under, they've all agreed to, to do this um, under NDA. And the group is always changing as people, you know, are, you know, some people stay for one set and, and then move on and other, other people kind of jump in the middle. And, um, but at any one time we have, you know, I, I would say about between 50 and 60 uh, external testers, but they all get like actual generated decks that were made with the algorithm. And I, and that's an important part of, of that process because every Keyforge set has its own set of rules for how a deck is construct is generated and what are the minimum requirements um, for those decks. You know, like for Winds of Exchange, for example, it was a requirement that every deck come with a token creature and be able to make token creatures. And if the algorithm generated a card list that could not make a token creature, then the entire deck was flagged as invalid. Hmm. Um, and so it's important, it's important to us that we're testing that part of the set just as much as we're testing individual cards. Hmm. So the external play testers, they all get generated decks. And, um, and, and we often get to the point where we're generating new batches of test decks on a weekly basis. And a lot of the testing is done digitally um, we have a special fork of a tabletop simulator that we use uh, for for playing games digitally. And then we also just do a lot of print and play. Yeah, too. we have printed decks all over the place or around the office that we just <laughs> print out and cut apart and play with once or twice, and then make a bunch of changes, and then we just do it again and do it again. Yeah, and and when people are uh, playing these. Uh, Example decks, so to say. What is the f kind of feedback you are looking for from the playtesters? What, what, what are the issues yeah, so you want to find out? It's, about? Uh, we deliberately recruit a variety of playtesters um, because it's, it's important to us that every Keyforge set feels like it's for all Keyforge players, not just a subgroup of Keyforge mm. players. So, mm. and the, the testing pool reflects that. So, we definitely have top level competitive tournament players in the testing pool. But we also have a lot of people who are self-described as casual players and some people who are their primary way to play is Keyforge Adventures. And I like mixing all of those people together and giving them all the same set of decks mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and asking them to play the test decks against other test decks, but also I want them to play them against any other existing deck from any set that they feel like would create a, an interesting matchup that would tell us something useful yeah. uh, about the set. So I, I, we give the testers a lot of flexibility in that way where they can, they can test how they want to test. And um, yeah, and we just, um, we're, I'm interest, we're interested in all kinds of feedback, um, including like not just power level, but also just like game length. Mm. You know, like as a particular set, is it too slow? or too fast? Um, is there not enough amber control in a certain house? Or is there too much, maybe? Um, there's a lot of different things that we're 
you know, that goes into kind of fine tuning a set and balancing it out. Okay, cool. But talking about talking about uh, mechanics, I was thinking about uh, uh, we have all all sets have uh, their own specific mechanic, uh, uh, like incorporated in the set. So we were wondering, what about no? How much of the uh, Grim Reminders mechanics are going to be? kept to future sets is that like something you think about when you have this specific like for example enhancement was big thing in mass mutation have we Mm -hmm. that's something we saw that has been you know you have kept it uh yes is that like something in your mind where you design um, for sure yeah it is yes it is something that we that we think about um some mechanics uh can scale better than others um you take something like like the tide or token creatures I think it would be very hard to do either of those mechanics on a smaller scale hmm. where they're just say like a secondary feature of a set because uh, they both of those mechanics require they require a lot of cards in order to make them work uh and so that was that, w- that was definitely a concern um with equidon being the house that was introduced in winds of Ex- exchange I was worried that Equidon was going to lose a lot of its identity once you took away token creatures. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so, well, you know, getting Geistoids uh, to a fun place was very important for Grim Reminders. Just as important, I think, was also f- making sure that Equidon still felt like a good house and with its own identity, even without the token creature mechanic. So that was, that was an, a different kind of challenge that we had with Grim Reminders. I'm super excited to see how you have mm. uh, managed to do that. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and I think yeah. you were successful. I think that the same may be said for Unfathomable without oh, yes. Tide, as well. And Unfathomable feels absolutely fantastic in in Winds of Exchange. Their con- their house control and game control is phenomenal. Um, like the well identities, the yeah, yeah, the identities yeah. there really clear from DT and even in wind of exchange and so i think that was a yeah, great good. success huge good. success yeah yeah so yeah it, it's th- this is definitely something that we think about a lot you know and you know like uh, as we were finishing grim reminders i you know i had you know kind of a, a discussion with luke about you know like what our guys is going to feel like if if we took away all the haunted effects from them would they still you know would they still have something that just that made them geistoids and and um, and I think the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess as I, players I they, we will not really find out until <laughs> the next set. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, that is certainly my hope. Hmm. You know that um, that going into amber skies. Hmm. You know that um, that we're not going to. You know that we're certainly not going to have to start over with geistoids in terms of like what is their what is their purpose what is their role within the set like there's their identity is definitely established and it does not require haunted though we might still decide to let them have haunted effects sure mm. yeah but i mean grim reaper still worked as the anomaly in yeah. as in in winds of exchange in worlds collide sorry yeah. um that still worked absolutely fine so uh, speaking of mechanics, uh, or um, uh, I'm wondering if you have have you shown us everything there is about Grim Reminders, or do you have some kind of you don't need to say what it is, but you have something, some cards you're playing close to your chest 
in terms of mechanics or cycles of cards, something like ships in Dark Tidings? Or... Sure. Um, so I think, yeah, there's definitely still a lot of surprises for people to discover with their reminders. Um, we haven't really said very much about the revenants. Yeah, mm, that's it's true. One, it's just one Ooh. example. Mm. Uh, so that's a fun set of cards that um, I think we will say a little bit more about them um, at some point. But um, I, I think we're going to let players discover most of them for themselves. Mm. Those are definitely fun. But I think beyond just the individual cards, I think there is a general feeling to Grim Reminders that is very hard to get across in spoilers. I think people have to actually play with the set because it has a very different kind of rhythm to it. Um, being haunted is so important uh, to many Grim Reminders decks, especially if the deck has Geistoids, that there's going to, you're really going to be challenged with this idea of like cycling your deck as fast as possible is always the right answer. Hmm. Mm. And that's definitely not the case in Grim Reminders. And that's Ooh, interesting. And that was a design goal going into mm. it. Was that was one of the one of the core things that we wanted to challenge people with. It's interesting because I guess to get haunted you need to cycle, but then once you are haunted, if you keep cycling, you will shuffle the deck and you're no longer haunted. So mm. Right, yes. And so we want people to really think mm. about, you know, like if I if I reshuffle now, mm. Am I not going to be able to do my most important thing next turn? Mm. You know, yeah. and, uh, yeah. and I think that is getting used to that kind of flow mm. of the game mm. is really just comes with experience yeah. in, in mm. playing with the card set. It's something I think is quite fun from the spoilers that have been shown that a lot of these mm. effects that this card from your deck, you can also play it on your opponent, which I guess can make it so they are unhaunted at some point kind of so right. so that's that seems yeah. like a really fun puzzle to to figure out as a player mm. uh. right yeah exactly and i think it also gives a good a a good help for players to learn how to play keyforge well like giving that cycle versus non-cycle how quickly should i try and get through my deck anyway even if you're not playing with reminders um it's a it's a very good play style skill to to hone into so i think that's going to be something to that's going to make keyforge players better keyforge players in the future yeah so i think that that's definitely something that i'm excited for people to kind of discover on their own you know mm -hmm. is how how the whole set just feels a little bit different in terms of how you play the game um next question is um there is a bit of a feeling in some parts of the community that, uh, uh, for example, Winds of Exchange is a bit more powerful than earlier sets. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know if it's true or not. I think that's still controversial. Uh, but is that something that has kind of been a conscious design goal for, for Ghost Galaxy to help bring interest to the new sets? Or can you comment something on that? Yeah, no. Um... I think so. I think power creep is a matter of perception. Um, we certainly are not designing new sets with that in mind. We're not trying to make the new sets more powerful than the old sets. Uh, I think it is just, you know, I mean, we have a lot of ideas that we want to explore. Um, and 
you know, we like strong decks just as much as anybody. Uh, <laughs> and so it's, uh, but we're not trying to make the new sets better uh, in terms of like a higher win percentage uh, than the older sets. And I do think that some of what we're seeing right now with wins of exchange in the competitive scene um, is, is kind of a consequence of a few different factors. You know, it's like, well, first of all, wins of exchange is just a new set. And it's been a while since the game has had anything genuinely new. And so people are excited about that. And so, of course, wins of exchange is very popular for just for that reason alone. Um, Wins of Exchange is a strong set. It's very competitive. Is it the strongest set that's ever been made? I'm not so sure about that. Um, and you can also, be, the strongest set can be also the strongest, I guess, high end or the strongest average. And that can have like, uh, sure. because my feeling after opening Wins of Exchange, and I think it's a good thing, is uh, like, I feel like maybe not the, I, the strongest ones I'm opening is maybe not necessarily stronger than what I had before, but I feel like a higher percentage of my decks are kind of viable, which mm. is, to me at least, it's something good because it makes me, when you have a lot of decks and, and you want to open something, uh, you want something, uh, you don't want everything, you, want, you don't want to open 30 decks until you find something that like uh, you could have just played your old decks, something like that. Right. So. I mean, that's good to hear. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, because I, I do think that, I think that's generally a good thing. Um, and that could just be a consequence of us. I mean, we do a lot of set level analysis. Um, working on individual cards is great, but um, no keyboard card exists in a vacuum. You always have to consider the card in the context of the set that it appears. Hmm. So you do and some so, kind of high level, like counting pips, counting artifact right yeah and right yes so we we do pay a lot of attention to that sort of thing we'll we'll generate uh, you know so we will generate a, you know a few tens of thousands of of decks just at the data level we don't render them or anything mm. but we just we get all that data and we just kind of analyze um where all the different um bonus icons are landing um uh, what the card rarities are, are like. Um, there's lots of, you know, as you know, there's lots of cards that are paired with other cards uh, or sometimes entire groups of cards and how those things can kind of distort um, the, the, the rarity of things like uh, Nautilixian is a good example in Winds of Exchange, mm. you know, the, the Mars <clears throat> robot that comes with the four pilots. So that's yeah. a five card set. Which is almost half the half of a Mars pod. Yeah. I was um, pretty excited to open one of those on pre-release. Right, <laughs> but it's <laughs> but it does but a pod you know like a set like that does some can do some strange things to mm. to the rarity because it because choosing that one rare card which is not Elixian, it fills out not just one slot but five slots, which of course you have that many fewer chances to get another rare card. Mm. Uh, in the list, so, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just, it's just an interesting thing to consider. Um, and uh, so we, we do. We spend a lot of time like focusing on the impact of those kinds of rule sets. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. but you were you were you were talking about that the one card you think it in in that set like how it affects that set but do you also mm-hmm. think about this card or these decks that are generated how it affects towards the other sets that are existing already because i kind of feel like for example my gut feeling at the moment that i've you know i've been playing wind of exchange suddenly or oh, we could see it already in tournaments that they have not been winning the tournaments they have been like kota the first set has been winning deck so so it feels like yeah that each set brings a new thing and it messes up so-called meta mm-hmm. uh, that is existing. And that brings up, for example, I have some decks that I, I feel like were not that good when Mass Mutation was really hot. And now it's like, hey, yeah, finally I can play this deck and it feels like I can actually right. be able to be competitive with that. Do you have that mm. kind of uh, thought also in the process? Sure, yeah. Of- we, yeah, we do think about that. It's, uh, I mean, it's very hard to anticipate mm. Um, those kinds of things, mm. um, with the, with the sort of timelines that, you know, the, that we're working within, but yes, we do think about things like that. And, um, of course, you know, there are certain cards that we, you know, that we have to consider when we're designing any new set, you know, it's just like, you have to consider what a card like Eaton's jar is going to do, um, <laughs> because, yeah. because people are going to continue to use decks that have that card in tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't just ignore it. Uh, it it's, it's, it's there. And furnace of course is another thing that you just, you have to consider. Um, whether you do anything about it or not is a separate question, but it's like, yeah. but you have, you have to at least acknowledge that those decks are <clears> out <throat> there and they're going to be used. Because so. I mean, you can't, you can't ban cards in Keyforge. It's not like any other TCG where you can you can ban a card or suspend a card. Right. Everything should has to be viable um, in in Archon at least. So yeah. Right. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I guess we. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, speaking of the sign, uh, which will be like the first set that will be completely designed by Ghost Galaxy. Oh, uh, that'll be Ember Skies. That will be Ember Skies. Oh, that's fantastic. But that's after Green Reminders. Oh. <laughs> after Green Reminders, yeah. So, yeah. so, of course, so with one important exception, of course, it's like, of course, the Red Baron was designed by, yes. uh, oh, yeah. by FFG. Oh, um, I think yeah. we just got a... Uh, I mean, we had speculated the Red Baron would come, but I... I I guess we just had it have it official officially revealed. I, I mean, think, I think it was ninety ninety five percent guaranteed. Yes, but that that brings a lot of fun uh, fun uh, yeah. speculation about key color mechanics that we won't get into now. I guess, but we can get into it on the discords and stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah, how far how far is that set to actually being designed? Though, if it's going to be fully designed by. GG, how far along are you like 50% of the way or uh, I don't know. It's hard to say to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. I mean, it's hard to put a number to it. Um, we've done a lot of work on it. Um, there's still tons of work to do. Like a lot of the set is designed from a mechanics level, mm. but I mean, like some of the visuals are barely started. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of art that we still have to get done. None of the graphic design work has been started for the, the Skyborn faction, aside mm-hmm. from their house icon. Uh, but like all the car templates still have to be designed and that sort of thing. Yeah. So there's still there's still a lot to do. But we are on schedule. 
Yeah. Do you still have contact with the same pool of artists that you had um, with Fantasy yeah, we Yeah, that was one of the first things that we did when we we got it. We um, Fortunately, uh, we have websites like Arcana Arcana that uh, have a, a complete list of every artist that has ever done work for the game. <laughs> so we just went down that list and we contacted every single artist that we could get, a, uh, get in touch with. And um, many of them are continuing to work with us. Um, others have moved on to other kinds of projects, um, and we yeah. and we're also recruiting new artists all the time. Too. That's good to hear. That's really nice to hear. Yeah. So talking about we have been talking about the Amber Skies, uh, yeah. but that's because you know we saw it in the GameFound campaign that is going on at the moment, uh, which is talking about green reminders. Yeah. So what was involved in the decision to rely on crowdfunding for? the dream in the sets sure um so crowdfunding does a lot of useful things for us it gives us a lot of information um publishing is always a risky thing uh to do it's uh it takes a long time to bring a product from conception all the way through to completion uh in some cases it can take years uh to do that and you're paying bills that entire time. And of course, you don't actually get any revenue from the product until it's finished and you sell it. So crowdfunding um, can get you, you know, it can get you help you with your cash flow a little bit by just giving you some money a little bit earlier than you would have gotten it without without doing the campaign. Um, But I think more importantly, is that it's a way to connect directly with players. It's a great marketing opportunity. You build awareness and excitement for um, for the set um, before you, like long before it's actually released and you get a chance to offer some nice incentives for people to uh, to back the project and, and, um, and give them rewards for doing so, for putting their faith uh, in you to, uh, to, uh, do a good job um, with the product and crowdfunding also helps take away some of the guesswork that comes along with being a publisher. Um, in, in all our time uh, with FFG, one of the most important decisions we would ever make with a product was uh, how much do we print? Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of publishing companies that have been killed by overprinting because of course you pay for all of that product you know, uh, you have to pay the factory that makes it. And then if you can't sell it on the other end, well, then you've lost all that money. Um, and so, and very often you don't have a whole lot to go on other than your own gut instinct for like, what is the right number to print? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you print too much, that's very bad for your, for your cash situation. If you underprint, yes, you might lose some sales that you, that you, you would have, that you would have gotten but you also now have more information about what the true demand is. So then you can go back and do a second printing Mm. and um, with some more confidence, but crowdfunding helps take away some of that guesswork uh, because it gives you this nice Mm. foundation where it's just like, okay, so at the very least we know we have this many people that have committed to investing in this product. And so we know we need to print that much and then we can add, add some more on top of that to cover whatever we think um, mm. distribution and retailers will want. So 
it's very useful information. Yeah. And it's a great way to, to, like I said, to promote the products and to connect directly with um, our biggest fans. I mean, you mentioned retailers um, there and, and there. What role, because speaking to some retailers and like our local game shops here in Sweden, a lot of them aren't a big fan of crowdfunding campaigns because it feels like they, they're being cut out of the of the uh, publisher to yeah. player part in uh, what role does the LDS kind of play for, for backers and non-backers um, kind of during and after the campaign is fulfilled, like how much. Um... Right. Yeah. So it's, yes, it's a good question. Uh, I mean, local game stores are absolutely essential to the long-term success of a game like Keyforge. I mean, it's, it's where, it's where the local communities uh, gather and and how and how they they grow and over time. And um, we definitely want to support uh, the retailers and regional distributors, uh, you know, as well. And and we think that there is a way to do to provide both that support and also do the crowdfunding. They uh, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. And um, one of the um, one of the things we're doing this time around, you know, is we're offering a retail level pledge, which we were not able to do uh, with Winds of Exchange. We, as much as we would have liked to do that sort of thing in the Winds of Exchange campaign, we were just just simply not allowed to because of the terms of the purchase agreement that we had with with Azaday. But this time we have worked out an, an agreement with them to be able to offer this retail level pledge within the context of this campaign. Um, meaning that any retailer who pledges that $5, we can work with them uh, directly and offer them a whole variety of different options that they would not normally be able to get through distribution. Um, ways to help them promote the game and, mm. and grow their communities. And also just, you know, place an order at wholesale discounts for Grim Reminders. So they can do all of that stuff if they do that retailer pledge through the campaign. Now, once the campaign is over, those stores will then have to go back to their regional distributors to, uh, if they want to, if they want to say place restock orders, they do that through, through their distributor, just like they would before. So. That was kind of the uh, that was kind of the negotiated middle point that we were able to, mm -hmm. to arrive at today, and I think we're I think it's a good compromise. Um, so I really do hope that retailers um, will take advantage of this retailer pledge, so that we can because um, it, 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 if nothing else, it gives us some direct contact um, to discuss organized play for twenty twenty four. You know, like how the, have uh, you, how have you then contacted these retailers? Like, have you, like, how how could they get to know about that? Okay, this you have this pledge, you have this idea behind it, and mm -hmm. so that they were like, hey, okay, I'm, I, I want to pledge the five dollars and see what this means. So a lot of it is is just kind of like the grassroots, uh, you know, meeting with individual people at at, at uh, trade shows um, like Gen Con and Essen and that yeah. sort of thing. Um, any retailer that 
just goes to the Ghost Galaxy website, can set up a retailer account, and then okay. we have their contact information, and we can reach out to them directly about things like organized play and prize support. And um, and then uh, we you know uh, we have a mailing list also that we can use to contact um, retailers to make them aware of the campaign and that the retail pledge is an option for them to consider. Yeah. I think this is really good to hear because I think the community, at least in Discord community, has been concerned about this, uh, especially this area of the local mm. gaming and the, like really the fundament of keeping the game alive for a longer time. Um, so this, I think, is um, hopefully answers some of those questions or the concerns. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, no, definitely. Thank you. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm personally getting onto my LGSs back, um, even offering to pay the five dollars myself for them to listen and understand, and hopefully, kind of start that conversation um, uh, as much as uh, as much as they can. Um, hoping that they'll they'll get that as well. So that's a good way that we can. Yeah, and so it's. Uh, I guess the the main the main takeaway from that is like uh, is that. Each retailer will have a variety of options that they can consider and that yes. they can discuss with our sales manager. There is no, there's not just one package that they have to buy. Um, we, you know, we're trying to make it flexible so that people, people can choose their level of participation. So, so um, one thing that we can, I think we can speak for a lot of players here in Sweden, that we have a really we have a quite large and active community, though main we're quite spread out. So some of it is online, and, and, and some of it is in person. Uh, and uh, and we also have a lot of uh, players in the Nordic Keyforge League from our region, and also from from other parts of the world. Many people from Asia, f- from North America, South America. Uh, we had a yeah a lot of play- players from all over the world and and we are wondering like um how are you thinking about how can you support like players and communities outside of of north america what what are your thoughts on that yeah it's um it's uh it's definitely something that we've uh, that we've thought about a lot um we're we're very much aware that uh, we did not meet uh, a lot of people's expectations for on the last campaign, uh, especially those outside of the U.S. Uh, it's taken far too long uh, for people to uh, get their pledge orders uh, delivered, and I apologize for that. Um, we're changing everything around uh, uh, this time. Uh, the U.S. will be the the last. Uh, People that did that get their shipments set out this time. Um, so we're we'll be starting with. We'll start with Europe and Asia, um, and then uh, and Australia, and then we'll move closer to closer to home um, yeah. with Canada and the U.S. going last. So that won't that won't guarantee that everybody will get their delivery all at the same time, but it will greatly narrow that time frame so that between the first shipment and the last shipment, that should be a much shorter time period. So that's important. Um, 
we've also learned a lot about um, what to do and what not to do in terms of how international shipments are bundled and um, and uh, labeled for customs officials uh, and that sort of thing. We lost a lot of time um, with uh, just things, just take, just getting hung up in customs and taking a long time to clear customs and, and that sort of thing. So I think I sincerely hope that that part of the process will also be a lot smoother uh, uh, this time around. And, yeah, uh, here in Sweden, most of us were like checking emails. We went, we had the links that we could see where the package was, and it was like it's stuck there. We're checking all different information for a long time. Like, yeah. mm. has, has has my package gone to Germany now? Has it gone back <laughs> to the UK? Is it in Denmark actually? Or, yeah, it was it was yeah. interesting. <laughs> Yeah, we are all learning right. about uh, international shipping at the same time, I guess. Yes. <laughs> right. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, and you know, and some of this, you know, is some of this has to do with like VAT, you know, which is yeah. like, it's like we don't have VAT in the U.S. And so no. it's not a concept that we understand. Um, we don't want to become an expert in how VAT works, <laughs> uh, which is probably the main reason why we are partnering with games quest you know to help us you know navigate those waters um and uh but i mean it's it's a it's, it's a learning process for everybody i think this the second time around i think things will be much smoother i certainly hope to see more vault tours and more national championships going on uh throughout europe in 2024 uh, we did get some of those uh, tournaments, and we, I was very happy to see the level of interest and, and attendance at, at those events, and that was great. And I really want to see a lot more of that sort of thing in 2024. Mm. I think our aspirations in Sweden is that, you know, eventually Sweden will get a Volt Tour, um, <laughs> despite Christian Peterson saying that we definitely won't get a Volt Tour in KFC last year. Um, <laughs> he said that a few times, which made me... Make me <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure he exactly bit. said that. We might have misunderstood no. what he said. But yeah. no. um, I think he was making a point that the community... I know he was making a point about the size of the communities and everything, but right. we want to. we definitely want to be that size in Sweden, so event, hopefully we can get a vault tour in this area. Um. <laughs> right. Well, it's yeah. It's uh. Well, Christian is a Dane. Yeah, uh, that, I think that. Yeah, can, exactly. We have that some. There is why, some. Yeah. yeah. There is yeah. some. Uh, Den Denmark will get a vault tour, but definitely not Sweden. I think that <laughs> comes through uh, quite clearly. <laughs> But you, sorry, I need to interrupt here because you mentioned the VAT yeah. and you said that it was something new that you haven't considered or thought about before. So when you talk about crowdfunding a platform, that is going to be a reality for, for example, for us here in Europe. Sure. And that means that the pledges, you know, the, the prizes will be higher for us. Is that something, how, how do you think about, you know, approaching that kind of problem? Because I think that's going to be some sort of struggle for us to, back it like for mm. at least for some backers that are maybe have a tight budget or, or, right. or to rephrase that uh, there i think there are many players you will see fewer pledges from our area but i don't mm -hmm. think it represents a lower interest it's people are yeah, waiting yeah. to buy to buy uh, from, right. retail. from retail yeah yeah, yeah and uh, and so that much about vat we do understand um <laughs> you know it, it's a um and uh, and we know that, that there will be more players this time around that will be waiting to buy it in retail. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
uh, if that's if that's what people want to do. Um, it's um, it's more about like because we're not experts in VAT, we don't necessarily know the best ways to make the cost as low as it as it can as it can be made. Um, it's just you know we're not you know we're not a European based company, no, no. Um, and so I'm sure that there are lots of uh experts out there with with very good vat strategies for how to for how to make things the most cost effective for everybody um but that's not a you know that is not something that we uh that we can uh that we can do by ourselves so that's that's why we need to partner with a company like games quest okay so. yes but something that is really cool though Despite maybe you know this campaign has not shown as say, great success like compared to the first one when we were looking at how it's going, mm-hmm. uh, but what we can see is that you know we have locally we saw new people when we were playing in nationals for example or just in 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 stores and uh, even the NKFL which is the Nordic Keyforge League which have like it seems like we're going to be over two two hundred twenty players in that league yeah. we've just, just been confirmed this is this tonight actually that we're 224 players which is the max capacity that we can do for the season because of our game software um so well. so, so the interest is certainly yeah. there yeah yeah, yeah. that's great. So, <clears throat> yeah that's awesome yeah and uh, this is also one of the reasons why we want to do interviews and podcasts we yeah, want yeah. to spread the love forward in all the different ways and channels and help you guys because obviously you're creating the creating the game to us mm-hmm. so yeah we're winning winning here at the same time <laughs> yeah. yeah no definitely yeah. but before we before we close off the interview michael is there anything that you that we haven't asked that you want to you want to say you want to communicate you want to say about the game found that we haven't covered yet um, I mean, I, I think you had a, a great, a great variety of questions there. I would just say that, um, uh, if you're considering back in the campaign and you haven't done so yet, um, I would just encourage you to go ahead and do so. I promise you will like menagerie decks. Uh, you'll like grim reminders. Yeah. You, no question. You'll like grim reminders, but you will also like, uh, the menagerie decks. I think they're very fun. Um, they're a nice collectible uh, thing that uh, gives you a different kind of Keyforge experience. Uh, and the new adventure is actually a lot of fun too. Uh, if you like Keyforge adventures, yeah. the Great Hunt uh, is going to be an awesome adventure. A big, so big there's some. We're we're trying to definitely trying to uh, create a lot of enticing products uh, for people this time around. Yeah. So if if you're on the fence thinking like maybe maybe I should maybe I shouldn't I say you know like go ahead and um, even if you pledge at a you know at one of the lowest levels um, even the lowest level will still qualify you for all the stretch goals that we unlock uh, and which can you know be some really great value so. yeah we really hope for that yeah yeah well we are really really pleased to be able to get you on to the podcast uh mm-hmm. michael huge huge thanks for giving us such a huge insight into 
both written reminders as a set, the design perspective, but also how seriously you are taking the design of Keyforge in general and how deep you're going into and what you're able to do now um, that maybe you weren't able to do um, with its previous owners. And it sounds really, really exciting. And I know I'm actually really excited for the future of Keyforge myself, um, as sure as many of our listeners are. So thank you. Thank you so much for coming and joining us yeah well thank you for having me it's been a lot of fun perfect and uh we'll put a link to the game found in the um show notes uh but it's very clear you go on gamefound.com and you'll see keyforge plus and everywhere so yeah. it's easy enough to find uh find where so go in and pledge if you can and uh we will we really want to see what those menagerie decks are so um Yes. Yes, please. Pledge, <laughs> pledge, pledge, pledge. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, for, for now, the, we'll see you uh, in the next episode. Uh, thank you all for listening. And um, from me, Forge on a Prosper. Stay hydrated. For me, stay classy. <laughs> have, you got, have you got a sign off, Michael? <laughs> I would just say keep forging. Keep forging. Fantastic. Good night, everyone. Thank you.